on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies and Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is Tuesday, February 6th. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Neil Tracy has the latest in Jerry Flannery's move to South Africa. Austin O'Malley casts his eye over the latest round of the National Football League. Mark Langdon brings us up to date with all of the stories from across European soccer. And we'll round up today's latest sports news headlines. As always, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, WhatsApp 087 or we're on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Good evening. Great to have your company here on Game On at 2FM. A couple of news headlines uh, to get through uh, before we get into uh, the main body of our show. Uh, starting with racing, Irish trainers are responsible for a record 61 entries of the total 94 received for this year's Randox Grand National, with the entry spectacular also having a new start time of 4pm this year. The race has been brought forward by 75 minutes, having previously got under orders at 5.15pm, while at a reduced field of 34. Well, also be introduced as officials continue to look at making the race as safe as possible. Ferry House officials will hold an early morning inspection to decide if tomorrow's meeting can go ahead as planned following heavy rain. An inspection today found that a small section of the course is currently unfit for racing due to standing water with a mainly dry forecast between this evening and race time tomorrow. A half seven in the morning inspection will be necessary and with temperatures set to drop overnight it's not a foregone conclusion so keep an eye uh, on all of your news channels to see if Ferry House goes ahead uh, tomorrow. Uh, Red Bull Chief Christian Horner faces a hearing on Friday following uh, an accusation of inappropriate behaviour at Red Bull's Formula One team. Red Bull, the Austrian energy drinks company which owns the team, confirmed on Monday an independent investigation had been launched after it was made aware of the allegations. The PA News Agency reports that the allegation has been made by another member of staff for the British-based team, which last year carried Max Verstappen to his third consecutive world championship. Horner, who has been Red Bull team principal since 2005 strongly denies the accusation. Now, um, before we move on, uh, time to chat basketball. Basketball Ireland uh, have said refusing to play their FIBA Women's Eurobasket 2025 qualifier against Israel would be ruinous after head coach James Weldon named his squad for Thursday's uh, fixture. Now, John Feehan, Basketball Ireland CEO, was uh, speaking to the media today and uh, our own Justin Tracy posed a couple of questions uh, to Mr Feehan. The people looking for the boycott of this game, John, they say, you know, sanctions, you know, a lost generation, as you put it, of players, that what's happening in Gaza is just much, much bigger than that. You obviously disagree. No, I, I don't disagree. I mean, to the extent that what's happening in Gaza is dreadful. I mean, we all acknowledge that. The issue is, is 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 this going to make a difference to the Israeli government? And for, quite frankly, we don't believe it will make a blind bit of difference. But what it will do is it will destroy our women's international game for the next 10 years. So here, John, a follow-on from that. Do you feel that uh, the European governing body has a case to answer here and not acting against Israel? You know, surely the action really needs to come from, from that level. Well, all I can say is I, I can't answer for FIBA. What I can say to you is that you know, we we would have requested uh, that you know, is there an alternative? And they said no. We have to fulfil the fixture. I am pretty certain uh, they did a, um, you know, they went around Europe to find out how pe- people felt about Russian and Be- Belarus, and they found out that the vast vast majority of federations wish to wish to ban um, this. Obviously, simply I, I, again, I can't answer for FIBA. But quite frankly, the support is not there to do that with Israel. And you obviously... And, and, and may I add, sorry, may I just add one further thing sure. too? It's not there for any other sport either. So the IOC, FIFA, uh, UEFA, you, you, you name your sports organisation, none of them have either banned or boycotted Israel. Do you feel, John, that Basketball Ireland has come under undue and unfair pressure uh, in, in that regard in, in, because it, it almost was the international next off the rank? I think we were first up and uh, to that extent we're always going to be you know, given undue, a little undue pressure. Uh, 
I mean, in simple terms, you know, between Ireland and Israel, there's over a billion euros worth of trade every year. Uh, why basketball is the one that gets gets hammered? I, you know, you you can ar- argue that. I reiterate, and I, I'm quite serious about this. We have huge sympathy for what's happening in in, in Gaza, and all the players, whether they're in uh, um, Latvia or not, feel the same way. But the reality is, is it going to make a blind bit of difference? if we make a, a grand gesture, and the simple answer to that is, in our view, no. Uh, and we have been instructed. And I'm not prepared to destroy my sport for a gesture that will have no impact. So that was Basketball Ireland CEO John Fian speaking to RT Sports' um, Justin Tracy. Now, the game was supposed to take place in Israel back in November, but it was postponed uh, until February 8, which is this Thursday due to security concerns caused by the ongoing conflict in the region. Basketball Ireland uh, requested that the game uh, take place at a neutral venue, so uh, Riga in Latvia uh, was selected. Now, <clears throat> Israel's head coach, Sharon Drucker, Uh, briefly referenced Irish opposition to the conflict in an interview uh, with Israel's uh, Basketball Association after his team welcomed IDF soldiers to a training session in Tel Aviv. Now, pictures from Israel's official, uh, Israel Basketball's official Twitter account um, have this dated at February 4th. So this was a training session over the weekend. Former players were among the soldiers invited to the uh, pre-tournament preparations as Drucker called for the release of the hostages captured by Hamas uh, last October. Um, He went on to say uh, that both the team and our players are not disconnected. We know what is happening with the Irish and what happened to them. Uh, There is no point in getting the players hot and fired up because they will come with motivation and a desire to win anyway. I have a lot to say about it, but I prefer not to speak and keep the national team focused on basketball. But sport should be an integral part of what it symbolises and Ireland did not accept that. Five Irish players, uh, of course, have decided not to travel to Latvia, uh, where the game will be held behind closed doors over the uneasiness uh, over the encounter. The fixture, as I mentioned, was originally played uh, last November. So as uh, things stand, uh, the the match will be going ahead um, on <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, Thursday. And as John Fian kind of outlined there, the, the ramifications if, if Ireland um, weren't to play would be... Um, Irish women's basketball in the wilderness for five years as well as incurring uh, fines of up to €180,000 from FIBA. But the pictures um, that, as I say, have been posted by the Israel Basketball Association and they can be easily found on the Irish Sport for Palestine Twitter account as well are are quite reprehensible. Um, but the match the match does go ahead and John Fian has kind of outlined the uh, the reasons uh, for, uh, for such. Game on. GAA. Now, there is a lot to get uh, through this evening. Osno Mali is in studio. We will be uh, joined by Neil Tracy to chat rugby very shortly. Austin, we're going to chat Gaelic uh, football in detail uh, a little <laughs> bit later on. In detail. Um, but just broad strokes, uh, great weekend of football. Did you enjoy it? I absolutely did, yeah. I thought it was a cracking weekend of football. There was a lot in it when you, I suppose, you cast your eye across uh, the four divisions. There was mm. a lot to digest. Um, a couple of cracking encounters, I think, probably notably kicking off Saturday evening with uh, the Mayo Dublin and then leading into sort of Derry Tyrone and um, all the, the bits and pieces that came with that but there was a lot of good fare served up obviously there was a lot of tricky conditions in different venues and that and that you know led for maybe a change in terms of game plan for a lot of mm. different teams um, but on the whole I thought it was it was, it was there was a lot of good fare served up and I think after this weekend we have probably you know beginning to get a bit more accurate picture of kind of you know the trend line or form mm. lines in terms of, of the divisions and maybe who's who's um, who's looking sprightly at this early stage and who, who needs to do a little a bit more homework obviously they're heading into that two week break now so yeah. some teams are looking up the ways others are looking down but um, yeah the, you know it, it definitely informs the mood uh, in, in terms of whichever way you're going in are you going in with four points or are you going in with none you know be interesting uh, to be in certain training camps over, over the break yeah, to see what's yeah. happening a little bit, little bit <laughs> more homework for some a little <laughs> less for so. others um, 
while we're on news headlines, actually, uh, you mentioned Tyrone Der Osana, and we will be joined by Neil Tracy now in a few moments, but just because it is um, a, a news line today, Tyrone have asked uh, for privacy for joint manager Fergal Logan after revealing he has unspecified health issues. Logan and Brian Dewar have been in charge of the Red Hands since November 2020 and led them to an All-Ireland title the following year. Logan uh, was absent for Tyrone's defeat to Derry on Sunday, which just do her uh, on the sideline. A statement read, Tyrone GA can confirm that the joint manager of our senior football team, Fergal Logan, is currently dealing with some health issues. Fergal wants to thank everyone for their support uh, and good wishes. On behalf of all Gales of Tyrone, we wish Fergal a speedy recovery and ask that his and his family's privacy uh, be respected by all uh, at this time. So I think just to echo those st- sentiments really uh, from all of us here at Game On, uh, that we wish uh, Fergal Logan um, yeah. all the best um, with, with, with the health issues uh, outlined in, the, in in that statement there um, by Tyrone GA. Austin, listen, you're going to stick around. Uh, we will be getting stuck into Gaelic football uh, very very shortly but first big news today Jerry Flannery is off the coach of Springboks Game on Rugby and with more on this now Neil Tracy of Orty Sport joins me so as I mentioned Neil Jerry Flannery will leave Harlequins next month to become the new defence coach of world champions South Africa so Neil how big of a move is this for the career of Jerry Flannery well, it's uh, Shane. It's it's huge. I mean, getting a move to the world champions to be part of the the frontline coaching staff there is massive, and it it kind of crept up on us in in the last couple of days. It was first reported down in down in South Africa. Um, more than likely, you'd have seen many in his defence coach until twenty twenty seven, um, and pretty huge, pretty huge boots to fill in the role as well. Obviously. Jacques Nienaber would have been the head coach per se, but obviously since he's gone to Leinster, he would have been controlling the defence primarily, um, and that's the that's the role that that Jerry Flannery will be doing. It was quite interesting actually. He was on RTE's coverage of the the Rugby World Cup back in South Africa or back in back in September, and I do remember the night that Ireland played South Africa. He did a, a pretty fascinating breakdown of of South Africa's defence and what Ireland could possibly do to get around it and the challenges that uh, it posed. So I wonder if he managed to get that clip and and uh, share it with his uh, with his interviewer, Razzy Erasmus. <laughs> it was a pre-interview on RT Sport. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So we RT can take some credit, I think. But obviously there's the, the interesting wrinkle there as well, right, where obviously there, there is the connection with Razzy Erasmus and they go back to their time at Munster just as Razzy did with with Felix Jones as well. And he's obviously the type of character that likes to work with people that he has worked with before. And he builds up relationships like that. There's obviously a lot of loyalty there. He even brought Alad Walters with him initially as well when he moved from Munster to to South Africa as well. So there's some fairly strong Munster and South Africa connections coming in there altogether. But it kind of makes it, it marks a, a... a larger rejig of the the coaching team in South Africa as well because Erasmus now he's stepping back from the director of rugby role which is more of the the kind of the helicopter role and he's going to be doing more work on the pitch as the head coach Tony Smith then is coming in to to fill the void left by Felix Jones who's gone to England he's going to be the new attack coach uh, Tony Smith people will know uh, a very very well respected New Zealander very very experienced coach would have won, would have won a super rugby title with the Highlanders back in 2015 and also would have been integral to the Japanese attack that that beat Ireland famously at the 2019 World Cup and he would have been working with them up and up until 2023 and another interesting little appointment in there as well that they've also thrown in Jakob Paper who a lot of people will remember would have been a a well-known international and URC ref he recently retired and he's coming on board as a national laws advisor as well. We're seeing a lot of French teams bringing in referees and, and ex-referees uh, to work on their own coaching teams just to get ahead of the game when it comes to the laws. And it looks like South Africa are doing that now as well. So you mentioned kind of the, the, the change in, in roles and with Jones and Nienemar going to really, really highly respected um, coaches. What will... Jerry Flannery bring and also general is it is this a positive move for South Africa rugby kind of this whole rejigging oh I, I think it absolutely is when you look at the when you look at the names they've brought in I think certainly on the face of it they are two two very popular and very they were very well received appointments like Tony Brown is or Tony Smith I should say sorry is a or Tony Brown is a 
Tony Brown. Tony Brown. The New Zealander Tony, Tony Brown, Brown being brought in as yeah. the new Tony attack Brown. coach. Doesn't work at Tony's. I'm thinking of Tony Smith, the uh, Dublin University coach. But uh, Tony Brown. Both highly respected well coaches respected. in their own regard, Neil. To be fair, so you know, exactly, we'll let you yeah. away with but, it. Uh, <laughs> Tony Brown, like he's been he's been around a long, long time, and he is he's one of the most respected attack coaches in the game. And some of the stuff that Japan were doing uh, under himself and Jamie Joseph were were absolutely outstanding. And it probably does it does give you an indication that South Africa are trying to continue on in some way from, they sort of expanded their game a little bit over the last couple of years under Jack Nienaber as head coach. And it's probably a sign that they want to continue that. And maybe they don't necessarily want to revert back to what we would have thought of them in 2019 as being probably a, just a kind of a negative team that just played uh, territory and possession and just tried to squeeze the opposition with the set piece that they actually are expanding their game further and further. In terms of a move for for Jerry Flannery's career, I mean it's it's absolutely fantastic. His career has been on a an upward trajectory pretty much from day one when he went in at Munster and had to learn some fairly hard lessons in those first couple of years when he was working with Anthony Foley and, and results weren't going well. And then obviously stayed on working with uh, Razi Erasmus and, and Jacques Nienaber when they came in 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 2016, and then leaving in 2019 and I think for a little while Munster probably took a step backwards after himself and, and Felix Jones left as well and then obviously helping steer Harlequins to that 2021 Premiership title when they looked dead and buried halfway through the season they'd sacked their head coach and it was Flannery Adam Jones and Nick Evans the, the three assistants who basically ran the show as a as a three-headed beast for the final few months of the season and pulled off a, a fairly incredible Premiership win well, you mentioned that kind of surprise Premiership title in, in 2021. Like, I mean, Flannery spent six years with coaching the Fords and, and Scrum uh, at, at Munster. He's with Arsenal as well. He's, he's an SNC um, background as, as well, does, does Jerry Flannery. He's a finger in every pie and like an supremely talented um, tactician as well. Like, ultimately, is the end goal for Jerry Flannery, do you see him being head coach of a very successful rugby team? Certainly. And I, I think if you look at the way there's a trend at the moment where Irish coaches are being fairly sought after. Obviously, Ronan O'Gara is the one that jumps out. Jerry Flannery now. We've had Felix Jones winning two World Cups with South Africa. And now, you know, he was headhunted by the IRFU to work with, with Steve Borthwick. And he's taken the job of, of Kevin Sinfield, who it looks actually Kevin Sinfield might actually be Jerry Flannery's replacement at Harlequins. And then throw into that as well someone like Noel McNamara, Who's doing fantastic stuff at Bordeaux this season? They're flying high in the in the top fourteen. But but on Flannery, like I mean, he's he's only in his mid forties. He's got he's got quite a deep, quite a long career ahead of him, even at this stage in in coaching. And you know, if you just look at the path where he went in, obviously at, at Arsenal initially doing strength and conditioning, then onto a provincial gig with Munster, moving from there and and leaving on his own terms. There, you know, he. He left. He left on his own terms. He wasn't dismissed or anything like that. There were a lot of people unhappy when he did leave, kicking on to to winning a title at, at Harlequins, and now being now being taken on to to work with the the two in a row world champions under uh, a fairly star studded coaching ticket. I mean, the the future is only the future is only positive. I think. Well, looking to the future, um, not to put you on the spot now, Neil, but when Andy Farrell does eventually step away. What's the dream team coaching ticket for you, given the names you've mentioned, O'Gareth, Jones, McNamara, everyone else, and, and Flannery? What what would the dream team be for you? It'd be a fairly expensive ticket anyway, if I was putting it together, <laughs> just just based on some of the names of it. But I mean, it's funny, like, just listing off the, the names I gave you there, like Ronan O'Gara, Jerry, Jerry Flannery, Felix Jones, and Noel McNamara, even between the four of them. That's, that's four high-profile coaches working outside of the Irish system at the moment. Um, straight away, you've got a you've got a pretty good coaching ticket there. I, I, I think it, it's it's impossible to know really what the dream coaching ticket is next because Andy Farrell's contracted to twenty twenty seven. Who knows? He could go on to twenty thirty one or or even beyond that. You, it's I suppose it's very very difficult to to put your finger on what the coaching landscape is going to look mm. like. Uh, three and a half years down the line or maybe even further and Tony Smith might do well in the AOL AOL get a call up who knows who knows Neil um, come here uh, his last game 
will be uh, Flannery's last game at Quinns will be a friendly against uh, former side Munster uh, later mm. this month which is uh, the, the Jerry Flannery derby uh, really yeah. and that leads me on to good news for Munster uh, Orgy Snyman is in line for his first appearance of the season uh, for Munster next week after returning to full training with the province that is a lot earlier uh, than expected Neil it is. It was. It was meant to be. Uh, meant to be March initially. Was was what um, Munster were hoping for uh, when he had it, it. We we never truly found out what the issue was. They they've just kind of said it was a chest shoulder uh, injury and and surgery that followed after it. And um, yeah, it's a big boost for Munster. So they obviously their next URC game is Friday week uh, in Clenethley against the Scarlets. Um, and it's actually quite interesting, just given Orgy Snyman's. Uh, I suppose injury troubles in his three and a half years at Munster. He, it seems to be colliding constantly with the Scarlets. He obviously had the recurrence of that knee injury after his comeback against the Scarlets two and a half years ago, and then this time last year, March last year, eleven months ago, he made his big comeback against the Scarlets uh, down in Cork as well. And it looks like he's on track to to have another comeback next week against Clenethley. But it is a big boost for Munster because we've seen over the last few months with Jean Klein has been out injured. Uh, Tom Ahern missed, uh, you know, missed the game against the Crusaders at the at the weekend. Finian Witcherly has been in and out with injuries as well. Uh, Tyg Byrne obviously missed time because of the World Cup. They've been decimated, particularly at second row when it comes to injuries. And Orgy Snyman had a big impact even in the, I think it was six games, five, six games he played at the tail end of last season. Even some of those just coming off the bench. He's a huge, huge impact player. And if Munster can get a consistent run of games into him between now and the, in this final third of the season, they can hopefully go on a run similar enough to what they did last year. I know they're still going to be missing the likes of Jean Klein between now and the end of the campaign. But it's just a, for Munster now, it's about getting bodies back. The injury list is bit by bit getting smaller and smaller. Tom Hearn's also going to be back this time next week. Mike Haley is coming back as well. So I think for Graham Rowntree, it's it's just about getting bodies back on the pitch after what was a really, really difficult middle third of the season. Absolutely. Neil Tracy, thank you very much for taking the call. Brilliant, uh, as always. Neil Tracy, uh, RT Sport, uh, rugby expert uh, there as well. Just interestingly, Snyman, it would be uh, the second row's first appearance for Munster since confirmation that he would be departing for rivals Leinster uh, in the summer. So it'll be interesting to see what... Uh, what um, reception he will get Neil Tracy you want to hear more from Neil Tracy the Orty Rugby Podcast is out at the moment um, you can get it where you usually get all your, your podcast uh, needs uh, Neil Tracy is joined by former Connacht prop JP Cooney to look back on the opening round of the 2024 Guinness Six Nations Championship I listened to it earlier on and I fully recommend it for more uh, rugby chat we are going to take a short break Austin O'Malley is uh, still standing by and we're going to chat Gaelic games in a few moments time Game on Gaelic football now it is time to chat Gaelic football here in Game On in the company of Austin uh, O'Malley. Austin, let us begin our chat with Division 1 football. Where to start? Uh, Derry's victory over Tyrone. Um, I saw Colm Keyes had an article in the Indo kind of saying that the window of opportunity for De- Derry is narrow, but they're operating like they know that. And it would seem perhaps that's why the kind of operation of, of the Glen lads uh, in the panel at the moment as well. Are Derry just relishing the injection of energy that, that Mickey Hart brings to a panel? I, I think so, yeah. And I think it was evident the weekend as well, even when you listen to the likes of Brendan Rogers uh, interview afterwards post match, like and you know, he really did reference that word energy and kind of enthusiasm and what Mickey has brought to the panel and the quality and the level of training that you know that's going on internally as well. So these guys are obviously looking at this and uh, you know, you just alluded to it there. Um the window of opportunity, mm. these windows of opportunity appear in sport and I think the Derry lads know that this this is an opportune moment for them to do something. Um, all the bases are in place. They've got a really quality manager. You know, they have a really robust game plan. They've got a really, really good set of players. There's a lot of good energy around Derry. So I'm thinking they're probably eyeballing and say it could be now or never, you know. Mm. Is he managing the Glen boys in, in the correct manner, in your opinion? Yeah, it's an interesting one, and I know there's there's, there's you know there's a lot of noise around it, but you is know, there too much noise? Are we making too big of a deal of it? Like, yeah, I like if you look at 
internally what goes on at an inter-county training session or in any kind of elite performance environment, the amount of you know, mapping and tra- tra- tracking and measuring of players in terms of their loading uh, is quite specific and it's very, very detailed. So even though those Glynn guys would have returned, like I'm pretty sure that their loading has been monitored to a you know to the to the minute detail, and these guys aren't being slogged like so. Even they're back in and they're connected with a squad. These guys can be all on maybe rehab and prehab little programs uh, inside, maybe plugging into different walkthroughs and trainings, the skill work and so on. So they'll definitely be spared the heavier stuff, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I suppose it's important from Mickey Hart's you know point of view in that he's coming in, you know, his first year in charge, and he's trying to implement a game plan a strategy build a culture and it's it's really important to have your key guys there so I think there's a lot being made of it but I think with the sports science and that sort of multidisciplinary team that surround players now um, guys are being, being being really really well looked after so I, I couldn't see fatigue or burnout mm-hmm. being an issue and again Conor Glass alluded to just post-match that these the Glen lads were heading away for a week's holiday to the sun this week. So, you know, the vitamin D, they'll rest up, re-energise again. So guys are very, very cute and assured and very professional now mm-hmm. as well. And all these little one percenters help. They look after themselves. Absolutely. They're, not, they're not running 50 laps of, uh, of Absolutely some not. No, or 10, <laughs> 10 400s, you know. To, in your to, day, yeah, Austin, In my yeah. day, 10 400s with, uh, yeah, one minute recovery. And that could, no, that's not, no. And like their gym stuff, it's, and as I said, like it's just... You know, you know the data that's that's around and compiled that's around these guys is brilliant. Yeah. Between wellness metrics and GPS and, and the integrated approach that's 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 from all these teams, so mm. um, it it just creates a really good environment. And guys mm. don't want to be missing out either. So you can you can tell you want to be plugged into that. It's giving you energy rather than being a drain. You know. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. I kind of fear of missing out. Um, Tyrone trying to find a balance between the experience and, and new guys. How will they take the defeat to Derry given all the, the narratives of Mickey Hart, it's an Ulster derby and so on? Yeah, look, I, I, I think Tyrone, obviously, they have blooded a, a number of new players and I think that they've done pretty well over the last kind of two weekends in terms of what they've shown and obviously there was, I thought, to be honest with you, I thought there'd be a little bit more spice in that game the weekend given sort of the, yeah. the furore around it. A few, few schmuzzles. Yeah, 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 I thought there'd be a little bit more needle but it actually played out um, quite you know, quite tame in, in, in many respects. Obviously, the wind was a factor. Derry went in at the break, three up. Probably, you know, wouldn't have been overly happy. And I I, I remember watching and thinking, God, I, I don't know if they've enough, you know, done to, to, to see it out. But obviously, came out and they have form, actually, in terms of playing really well against the wind. Like, they showed in the McKenna Cup, even in the final against Donegal, something similar, mm-hmm. came out. And it made you suit their, obviously, playing against the wind, you know, they're such a, a brilliant running team. Uh, in, 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 in terms of transitioning the ball and they'd done that um, quite well in the second half and Tyrone probably didn't help their cause I think they from my reckoning I think they had about they tallied they had 10 wides in that second half they had 4 inside the first I think 8 or 9 minutes and so they didn't help themselves from that from that particular point of view and Derry snuffed them out they kept a tight rein on Derek Canavan obviously after his exploits from the, the previous week and that and then they showed that little bit of quality in terms of maturity of their transition and holding the ball and, 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 and pinching scores yeah interesting you mentioned a bit of bite 18 years ago yesterday the Battle of Oma Dublin Tyrone wow 18 that, is it that, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember watching ago. it my god it was an absolute, I saw that, we, we definitely got a schmazzle in that yeah. didn't we <laughs> that was over at least one or two yeah my god um, epic so a, a big win for, for Derry and, and perhaps Mickey Hart uh, mentally as well mentally then I'm on this kind of um, narrative Mayo's victory over Dublin how big of a victory is that for, for Mayo do you feel um, beating Dublin in Castlebar in front of a great crowd as well great yeah. numbers great atmosphere super atmosphere there's what uh, you know 15,000 yeah. people which is brilliant again and it goes to show just the 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 atmosphere that was there and I suppose the the sense of occasion and the joy that you know people are getting out of watching Division 1 National League football but um, I suppose to go back to your first point I don't know like Mayo at the moment they haven't played you know particularly well mm. like um, you'd say over the two games like watching them Saturday evening I thought probably on the balance of power that Dublin played a lot a lot of the better football but obviously Mayo hung in there Did they deserve e- to win? In the end maybe just shade I suppose the scoreboard will always tell, tell you who mm. deserves to win but it, I, I, that the goal was obviously a little bit fortuitous but again Stephen Cohn seen an opportunity and he had to go and make his luck and, 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 and he got a hand to it but I suppose on the balance board if you rake back over and watch it again like Dublin probably would have played some of the better football but Mayo just hung in there they went for a, like Mayo went a long period in that game you know where they didn't score 
and then Ryan O'Donoghue who kind of hit four brought mm-hmm. them back in and they, they tipped away so I think Kevin McStay will go to the break very happy four points on the board but a huge amount of work to do still in a lot of different uh, areas but um, you know pre-league if somebody told him you'd have four on the board heading towards the break he'd have been delighted and I think his body language told a story after the game as well yeah. in terms of that that you know it wasn't pretty but we hung in there we got it and I suppose in the past, Mayo have been the other side of those type of, of results yeah. where it hasn't gone. Um, and I, I think you have to factor in as well the fact that Dublin are probably shy probably four to six weeks of conditioning and training and that. And I think that's been symptomatic in the last two games where they've been caught with, you know, poor one or poor, one or two poor decisions, a turnover, even the switch off for Ryan O'Donoghue's goal or for his point at the uh, uh, the free where yeah. he got Fergal Bowl and just those little things you often say it's physical but when the body is tired the mind is tired and there's a little bit of a switch off Finton's turnover in Croker against Monaghan just a loopy hand pass something that yeah. I generally never see him do it's generally slide rule Brian Fenton making a yeah. mistake in Crow Park yeah. so, these, <laughs> these, these little, often. <laughs> these little uh, mistakes creep in just when you're not tuned up to, yeah. to, so, to so, so you were Desi Farrell you're not going to be overly concerned I, I'm not over, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned from Desi Farrell's perspective I think he's probably seen enough in that to to say yeah we're we're building slowly i think the big bounce for dublin would be the next two games just to get to get points on the board and and roll on and they've obviously a couple of guys still to come back in when you're looking at their the, the Brian Howards yeah. and and James McCarthy and Stephen Cluxton Cluxton <laughs> Marchin you know it has who knows who knows who knows who knows even you know Paul Mannion will be seeing surface there as yeah. well yeah so i mean they have five six guys to to roll in there again um so I, I think they will be fine. But but for Mayo, like I think 2007 was the last time they beat rivals Galway and Dublin in the same league campaign. Now, listen, Kevin McSay isn't going to get carried away. He's a very kind of shrewd operator. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but it is imp- it's important for Mayo to kind of, I know Kieran Whelan made a joke about it. It was like, oh, you don't win in All-Ireland in February and, and kind of the, the scenes after. Yeah. Now, rightly so, celebrate a win. It's a big win against Dublin and in, in front of a great crowd. But it is important for, for Mayo just to not kind of to keep kind of the lid oh. on things and, and to keep keep the blinkers on. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I, I think watching watching the two games, you know, particularly watching the Galway game, I thought like we kept Galway sort of at arms lint, but Galway, I thought that that they were were quite poor and they didn't really come with anything. Mm. So I kind of came away from it thinking, where are we really? The last night our performance again, there was a cup, there was a, you know those zone outs, there was stuff that you just say, you know, we weren't very clever at times. Yeah. We went route one, you know, while those sweep were sitting for Dublin. That so there's a there's a hell of a lot to work on from a Mayo perspective, I think, and and just even getting the balance of his team right as well, and and just the sort of the architecture of it. Um, there's a bit to go there as well, and. There's that middle third as well, that midfield pairing of Jordan Flynn and Jack Kearney. That's a work in progress. Fergal Boland at eleven the last night. So that there's Fergal Boland's done well. He's done it. He's done really, really a, well. A man who was it was dropped kind of last year, and he's not new to the panel, so he has been around. Like I, I think it was Malachy Clerken from from the Irish Times posed the question to Kevin McSay, which was shut down about was <laughs> was it a mistake dropping him last year? I mean, yeah. was it or did it kind of work well that we've seen his league performance as well that perhaps that was the kick up the arse he needed? Yeah, well, you just never know. He's 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 a guy and a player that I've always liked and I've always thought was was. You know, he, he's always, on the big days, he's always showed for us. He's a real grafter. He's a very, very assured character. Always contributes handsomely on the scoreboard. Generally doesn't waste possession. A very bright footballer. Like, finds himself in great positions always. Even like the last night, to have the ingenuity to go to the centre of the D to take that. So he's a very, very crafty operator. He's a guy that you can see he's he thinks his way through games. Uh, he's positioning really good. Very good, very good kicker. Um, so, like... I suppose when a manager comes in and he assesses and he runs the rule over a panel in his first year, um, you know, sometimes he, he, he cuts guys loose. But the big thing I would say with Kevin is that he probably sat down and, and, and thought to himself, hold on here a minute now, let's have another look at this. And, mm. you know, it's kind of served maybe Fergal well that has re- re-energised him. I know he was, I think, due to head to Australia and he's decided to pull the pin on that. And, you know, it's sometimes there are these little things that are kind of force multipliers in a guy's life that he's back in and he's he's up and at it and he's getting his opportunity. And he's, he seems to be playing with a bit of freedom as well, you know. Okay. Well, Fergal Boland uh, returning, playing well. The Clifford's returned uh, for Kerry. No fair of burnout, as you kind of mentioned with the Glen boys, <laughs> no. that the loads are being managed. Um, but one man away from the Clifford's, because we all know how good the, the Clifford's are. <laughs> yeah. uh, Killian Burke. 
perhaps a bit of a bolter for Kerry. Yeah, obviously appeared uh, this weekend. But um, if you if you drill into his background, he has pedigree. You know, he's featured um, prominently for his club, Milltown Castlemaine, uh, in this year's intermediate championship. They'd have obviously beaten Fossa in the intermediate final, and he mm. had a starring role throughout with them. He's also represented at minor and under twenty one. So he has pedigree. He's um, He's, he's he has form he has pedigree he is alternated between sort of playing kind of half forward but last year I think for the Kerry under 21 he was midfield so okay. yeah he's rangy he's got a lot in his in, he's got a lot of capability and he um he, he weighed in with a goal, an important goal. Um, it's tough to break into that. It's <laughs> very, very tough. Team. When, when, when you look at it, and I think probably um, Jack is probably trying to unearth uh, a little bit of new talent or bring something fresh through to obviously to sort of to support the, the, the two Cliffords and Shawnee. So mm. he could be one that would, um, they've obviously been sort of, you know, they have had him in an incubator for the last year or two and he's been he's been going well. So he is, he's big range. He's got a lot, lo- beautiful kicker. So he's got a lot and um, I'd say Jack has got a lot of eyes on him. His own son, Aina, would have played with him in Milltown Castlemaine this year. So I'd say he'd have been at a lot of games and he would have a lot of a lot of detail on him. Okay. Uh, Monan obviously um, suffering a, a bit of a heavy defeat after defeating the Dubs uh, in Crow Park after the break there. Away to Derry as well. So um, motivation won't be lacking for an Ulster derby. Um, Galway Ross Common, nine points apiece. Um, both sides are without a win in this league campaign, albeit with, with two matches played. Any concerns out west for those respective counties? Yeah, look, I, I suppose you'd be thinking maybe from Park Joyce's perspective you'd have been thinking I, I thought they might have come with a little bit more early given that maybe that they, they, they bowed out a little bit earlier the previous year mm-hmm. but look he has been hamstring to to a point in terms of the likes of uh, Comer being out Liam Silk um, you know he was without Matty Tierney Finnerty the first day out so he's got one or two of those back this weekend and then he lost Shane Walsh to a, to a nick or something so um, in terms of performance wise I think afterwards you know he said he was happy that they came with a little bit more aggression and fight um, okay. that they'd shown something so like he would be disappointed probably heading to the break with uh, with just one point in the bag um, I'm sure he'd have thought that he'd have at least two you mm-hmm. know uh, Ross Common on the other side obviously there you know Davy Burke has alluded to it a number of times in post-match interviews that they are operating of a smaller panel and so on and that but I suppose given that they had such a good start last year uh, and they came out of the traps early in this year they they won the FBD obviously uh, pre competition there, but um, a, a, again like one point they're off the mark they're building so like probably not overly worried but I certainly I think this this third game is the crunch one for them coming after the break that you you really need to be putting you know the two mm. with the one and making a three so okay well Roscommon are on the road uh, after the break they face Dublin Galway are away to Tyrone Kerry host Mayo uh, and as I mentioned uh, it's Derry and Monaghan um, in Division 2 arguably even more exciting really uh, big worries for Cork Kildare and Mead teams that would I suppose have an expectation of more Oh, absolutely, I think so. I think so, yeah. And, and you know, casting your eye across that, such a, a competitive division. Uh, when you look at it, there, um, you know, you have Armagh, Donegal, Fermanagh, Cav- three, you know, four Ulster teams, three Leinster, and, and and one Munster. But certainly, those sort of, you know, you would call them the bigger sides. Mm. I think Kildare would be obviously very disappointed, and that sort of just you know caught my eye the weekend as well. The performance of Fermanagh and Kieran Donnelly's Fermanagh deserve huge credit there. Like that's a a pretty big scalp, um, you know. Like they would, many would have tipped probably for Manor maybe to be one of the teams that would go down in that division. But they're sitting with three points. They were took a point from their game against Mead last week, uh, the, the the previous week also, and probably were unlucky maybe not to come out of of, of Navin with, mm. with the two points there. So that was a big one. Cork have stuttered. Obviously, Donegal took them out in Bally Buffet the week before, and uh, you know they would have been disappointed to go down to to to, to Loud. Um, I think Loud caught them with two sucker punches before half time goals, and um, that. So Johnny Clear, he's. You know, Johnny Cleary's manager probably has a little bit of head scratching to do and a little bit of homework to do over the the break to because to, to see where he. Sorry to come to, across you, yeah. but just on Cork, like Cork need to qualify for the Sam Maguire via the league on the assumption that Kerry beat them in in Munster. So Cork not being in the Sam Maguire is it is a possibility and some of the Cork fans will, will be concerned oh, about. Oh, they'll be absolutely cognizant of it, and, and that's why you know these. These earlier rounds are so important. Yeah. That you think that you know, I'm sure they'd have uh, they'd have looked to that loud game, and they've a little bit of history. Obviously, they they did a fantastic game against them last year as well in RD, and and that. So they will be. Yeah, they like you'd still think that they probably have enough to maybe climb up and creep up. Um, 
but it would be a worry. Yeah, it certainly would be a worry. Cork not in the Sam Maguire. Yeah, Oof. yeah. It's just, it's not what the GA... Unheard G- of. Yeah, it's, it's unheard <laughs> of and it's just not what, I suppose, um, the, I'm always saying the GA need the likes of Cork yeah. in, in, in their primary competitions and so on. Do well for the Tolchin Cup. Be able to Absolutely, the yeah, Cup. absolutely. It's always an option. We know it was a fantastic competition last year. We know the games yeah. that threw up. My God, yeah, they yeah. were they were they were serious. Um, at the top of the division, Armand Donegal, about two uh, from two. Uh, I think Kieran McGinney uh, mentioned that he's hoping the lows of last year are more of a motivation than a hangover. Like so far, so good. Are, are Armand a team, perhaps more than others, would be looking to use the league as, as a springboard for championship in terms of form and indeed performance levels. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think probably the bit of there's a bit of a narrative, I suppose, created around Armagh at the moment that they're not really sure of what they're about in terms mm. of system. Like, are they ultra defensive or you know those two years, a couple of years ago, they went very offensive and they played some really great stuff, uh, and it looked like they kind of reverted back a little bit to type. So, I think for Armagh, the league, it is really important for them to to really you know, lay down a system and an identity of the way they're playing. And they've come out of the blocks really, really well. Like they had a fantastic, uh, you know, result the weekend. You know, I think there's there's a lot of energy. They're getting guys back into the four again and, and, and there's a lot of guys playing well for them. So I think it is an important year for Kieran um, and his and his backroom team in terms of the development and you know what style I, would you like him to play? I look, I, I think they have some cracking forwards. I'd love to see them go a little bit more long and direct and use those. They've obviously Reno Neil there, like positioned at fourteen. Mm. Connor Turbot, all these guys around, they're all w- well able to take their their players on and score and that. And sometimes I think they just look a little bit laboured. I think which will be a, a huge plus for them this year will be well, obviously they had him last year, but at the start of the season, Jarley Oak Burns had opted out and he's returned, and I just think he's a, a super super player and he's a real leader for them as well um, and I think that was a great injection probably for even the the players themselves to know that he is coming back in and he's and, and, and he's up and running so yeah I think it's an important it's a really important year for, for Arma and for, for, for Geezer um, Okay uh, and so far so good as I mentioned for, for Jim and uh, Donegal um, Has anything caught your eye? Anything of note in Division 3 or Division 4? Yeah I like the look of obviously Down you know Down are always one of those teams I'm always looking to you sometimes you just you know, you don't know what they're going to come with, but yeah. um, you know they've they've racked up a serious score the weekend there again against Limerick, three sixteen to nine. Um, they've obviously built on the form of last year. They did a, a pretty good win the the following week as well. So they're sitting there with four points, and I'm sure Connor Laverty, you know, he's quite a bright and astute coach, mm. um, and he's a, a a really really nice backroom team with him there as well. So they look like that they're they're you know they're plus twenty one. I think they're. The, the most points on the board in terms of scored and so on yeah. over the four so they're developing nicely and obviously they lost the Talton Cup last year they almost peaked you would have said in the semi-final where they they ran through Leash mm. uh, and were disappointed I think against Meath and that but they've caught the eye I think um, played some really really good football racking up uh, pretty decent scores so yeah one to watch I think they're on the move OK good stuff Leash as well Justin McNulty's helicopter worked. It worked. <laughs> it did. It's still the news. The chopper. The yeah. chopper worked. I think, chopper I think he's allowed to sit in the bench of the SDLP at the moment. I think he is. He's slapping the yeah. wrist. Yeah, he's, but he's, it's, he's, it's, it's gone well for him. It absolutely has. They're up in the run and they've, they've two on, uh, wins on the board. And again, I mean, they went to, you know, like 119 against Wexford. Wexford are a decent mm-hmm. side. So um, they're up and running and two on the bounce again. So they're, they're, they're sitting pretty. Great stuff. Austin O'Malley, thank you very much. Uh, brilliant, uh, as always. We are going to take a short break. Then Mark Langdon will join us to uh, chat European football. European football. Now, you're very welcome back to Game On. Uh, Mark Langdon joins me now to chat European football. Mark, let us begin our conversation uh, with Syria A. Uh, and I suppose only a miracle can stop Inter winning Syria A right now. Would you agree? Um, yes, I, I would, Shane. Um, they went four points clear at the weekend. They've got a game in hand on Juventus. They beat Juve 1-0 in Derby d'Italia um, on, on Sunday evening. In truth, it was a very comfortable um, 1-0 success. It was being billed as you know, a bit of a title decider, if you like. But um, Inter were able to get in front um, you know, due to an own goal, but they were on top at the time. And Juve barely laid a glove um, on Inter. I think you could argue, actually, that Juve have done well to sort of stay on sort of touch for as long as they have. They're not a particularly sort of vintage um, Juve side. And um, Inter, of course, were Champions League finalists last year. Got a lot of quality and experience in the team and were just able to hold Juve at arm's length once they 
um, got in front. So I don't see them sort of throwing away this lead. Possibly if they reach the Champions League final again and get distracted, as prob- you know, that, that might be Juve's best hope. But um, I, I think they went a long way. Um, to wrapping up the, the the title with such a huge win. Yeah, four points clear, game in hand. Um, Mark, I have a soft spot for Roma. So can Daniele De Rossi be the man to secure a Champions League spot for Roma? Well, um, he, he certainly um, sort of picked the team up since Jose Mourinho um, departed. Uh, they're only one point off of Atalanta now. In fourth, Atalanta do have a game in hand, but it might go down to five places um, in Italy. Still waiting to see which two um, nations get that that fifth spot. Um, I think De Rossi's done a, a very solid job um, so far. Three wins on the trot, not the strongest of opponents. You know, they've beaten Verona, Salernitana, and then on Monday night it was Cagliari um, that, that were beaten 4-0. I think the football's better under De Rossi. Um, they're, they're playing... I would say quicker. Um, it helps that Dybala is, is fit a, a, again. And, you know, I think Jose Mourinho would have loved to have had a, a fit Dybala all the time. But it, it, he's definitely picked the team up, um, you know, because the players had clearly fallen out with Mourinho, even if the fans hadn't. I think it was a really smart appointment because the fans were still backing Jose Mourinho. And I think the one way that you could kind of replace Mourinho and not set the club on fire really was to bring in somebody that is iconic and and would be liked by the supporters. De Rossi is definitely that. He's very much a straight talker. Whether he's got the sort of tactical acumen to take the job longer term, I Mm. don't know. But he's certainly playing well um, in in terms of as a manager in this position he's in. It's only a contract until the end of the season. If he qualifies for the Champions League, it might be a, a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he came in at United. He was only supposed to be there for a little while, but he did so well initially that they had to give him the job. Um, and that didn't work out too great uh, long-term for Manchester United. So um, I, I, I think Roma would be best served waiting until the summer and then making a decision that's with the head and not the heart. Okay, well, I, I wouldn't have him down as a master tactician in his playing days. So, um, who knows? Listen, you can only beat what's what's put in front of you. Um, La Liga, uh, there has been a row in Spain um, over the decisions that Real Madrid have been getting. Mark, yeah, um, this has sort of rumbled rumbled on to a point where um, everybody. Um, that sort of well, the other teams that are in the title race have decided between them, like Aka, um, Girona and Barcelona, the Real Madrid are getting um, every decision. Uh, Xavi, the Barcelona boss, said even a blind man can see it. The Girona supporters were kind of mocking um, the fact that Real Madrid were getting so many decisions and they weren't obviously little old Girona um, had, were on, you know, didn't get a penalty they felt they should have got in the 0-0 draw against Sociedad. Uh, Xavi has also said that Real Madrid are using their own club TV channel to put pressure um, on referees. They've had uh, their their fair run, I think, of of penalties this season, Real Madrid. It came to a head, we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, where uh, the referee played about 10 minutes of injury time before they eventually scored the winning goal against Almeria, who also considered they were on the wrong end of some refereeing decisions. I think I think in all over Europe, the bigger teams do seem to end up with the kind of rub of the green from uh, referees. I think in Spain, the behaviour of clubs, and I'm talking mainly about Barcelona and Real Madrid, towards officials is is all wrong. And, you know, uh, this really is just Xavi's way of trying to, I suppose, hide the blame for the fact that he's Barcelona team and not doing so well. And also try to put pressure on referees to make sure that they get the better decisions in the um, you know at, at the back end of the season, Carlo Ancelotti called Xavi unprofessional and said he wouldn't get involved in it. He'd probably have to get involved if it was Barcelona getting the rub of the green. So um, these two teams always feel like they're being cheated, um, and it'll, I, I think it will just be like that forevermore. Really, um, you know, these two just can't um, accept any. You know, if they're not on top, they can't accept that the other team's just better than them. That's that's true. That's true. With some serious allegations, but there's always a bit of mudslinging, to be fair, between Barca and, and, and Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, in the Bundesliga, Harry Kane scored his 24th uh, Bundesliga goal to help uh, Bayern Munich to beat Borussia Gladbach and keep pace with leaders uh, Bayer Leverkusen, turning into a bit of a two-horse race, but but an exciting one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the two teams meet um, in Leverkusen on Saturday. So it should be a really um, you know, crunch clash. If Leverkusen were to win that one to go five points clear, that that might be enough, um, you know, to, to really put Bayern in an uncomfortable position. If Bayern were to win the game, you'd feel like, you know, they'd get their noses in front and just go on and, and kick on from there. Um, as you mentioned, it was Harry Kane's 24th um, Bundesliga goal of the season. The importance of that is that he equaled Luca Toni's uh, record for the most goals scored in the Bundesliga campaign by somebody playing in their first season. So um, nobody has had a better first season in the Bundesliga than Harry Kane. He's got the rest of the season to beat that Luca Toni record. So um, I don't think it'll be too long before he gets that one. The, the big one in sight was Robert Lewandowski got 41 goals. So we'll have to see if he can chase that one down. But a stunning season, really. 28 goals in all competitions for Kane. This was a... A, a tapping goal, and I think he scored a, a fair few of those. But you know, he's also scored long distance ones. He scores headers. He scores all types of of goals. And the fact that Bayern are missing Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry at the moment—that's a lot of attacking quality not um, sort of able to be put out by Thomas Tuchel at the moment. So Harry Kane is really carrying that forward threat, and um, it's been a brilliant season for him. But you know, he's won individual awards in the past. He wants to win something with a team. So I think this game coming up at the weekend, absolutely massive for him and for Bayern Munich. Should be a cracker. Um, speaking of England internationals, uh, England boss Gareth Southgate watched uh, midfielder Jordan Henderson make his Ajax debut in a one-all draw with unbeaten Eredivisie leaders uh, PSV Eindhoven. Um, it was a delayed debut while uh, Henderson was waiting on a, on a work permit. So Harry Kane's ripping it up in the Bundesliga. Will Jordan Henderson and, and will Ajax suit him? Well, I think it'll suit him more than the, the Saudi league. Um, if he wants to get <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if he wants to get into the... Um, you know, back well, I say back into England squad. He's already in the England squad, but you know, if he's to get himself cemented in that squad, he needs to have a good um, second half of the season. I think that um, the position Ajax are in obviously have a shocking first half of the season. They're looking for somebody with you know good experience to come in there, and that was a very good result for them because PSV are miles clear um, in the Eredivisie at the moment. So uh, you know, I, I think it's a step in the, the right direction. Um, for Henderson, and you look around. I mean, that there's some you know really exciting younger players, Curtis Jones, uh, Manu, uh, Manchester United, that you know could be putting pressure on Henderson. But I think as long as he doesn't have a kind of daft or a, do anything silly in the second half of the campaign, given he's uh, the loyalty of Gareth Southgate, I would expect him to um, be part of that squad, particularly with Calvin Phillips having a bit of a shocker since he went to um, you know, to, to West Ham. Mm. So I don't think Southgate would want to go into a Euros with, with sort of without both of those players. Um, so I, I would expect at least one to go. And Henderson's certainly started better than what Calvin Phillips has. OK, good stuff. Mark Langdon, gentlemen, as always. Mark Langdon, uh, Sports Director with Spotlight a Sports Group. Thank you very much uh, for taking the call. That is all we have time for. Big thank you to Ronan Lawler and Lorley Davis who worked on uh, this evening's show. Big thanks to you for listening. Better Da Silva is up next, so do stay tuned to 2FM. We'll be back uh, at 6pm tomorrow. But from for now, from all of the game on team, it is. Goodbye. RTE 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.